Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am as always Elaine and I'm really sorry. I, Fletcher, will knock you all down. I'm Adam and um, I feel a moral obligation to be here. <laughs> Look, I wanted to start this podcast to talk about nice things, to be like, ah, remember how, like, My Chemical Romance was sort of good for Loud Boy, even when they were sort of terrible, they were way more interesting than people give them credit for. And now we have to talk about Sugarcoat. I wanted to talk about nice things, and now we have to talk about Sugarcoat. And I... (laughs) Noises. Mouth noises. No, thank you. Oh, I got your mouth sounds right here. Would you like to learn the history of Sugar Cult? If only so I can try and make sense of this album. Well, for, first I need to ask you all a thing. By the way, this time uh, Fletch did the history because my brain is really bad. Happens. It's okay. This is definitely one of those weeks where it's probably good that I'm doing the recording history because uh, I had fun. <laughs> oh, God. We're not talking about Twitch food, by the way. I was going to save that reveal for the end, but yes, two hours before we went to record, I suddenly realized, oh shit, Sugar Cult, not Switchfoot. I had been listening to the Meant to Live guys. Was that better or worse? Uh, they're much better. No, they're better. I listen to, I don't like them, but like... As I mentioned on the group chat, the Switchfoot guitar player has a guitar tone that it's not David Flair, WCW entrance music, which is all of this record. This record is just like that kind of like wrestling stock music, the guitar. Terrible. This is Offspring lyrics and some 41 play. <clears throat> no, Offspring has better lyrics. I'm sorry, Offspring never called anyone that this little defect. Yeah, that's a track. <laughs> Look, we give crap to the offspring, and rightly so, this is another level. All right. Uh, First of all, question. Does any of you have any prior experience with the band Sugar Cult? Yes. Lots of it, actually. Uh, Turns out, A, I know we have on recording last week that I instantly recognized every one of their singles. B, I've heard over half this album prior. I didn't know that, but yeah, uh, I have heard five out of these 11 tracks before. You poor soul. That's not something to be proud of. I didn't say I was proud of it, I just said it happened. How did you end up listening to this track? Three of these, the singles, definitely got local airplay. The other two, I'm sure I heard in an ex's car or something. Oof. It's the only thing I can think of because I wasn't with a few people... But based on the era, 
I probably heard this driving around with an X going to pick up uh, one of the Kingdom Hearts games. Well, good thing they're on X then. I mean, at least you got some Kingdom Hearts out of it. And good thing Kingdom Hearts ended. Well, I'll take a thousand simple and clean over any of this. Oh, that's no question. I hate this. I I don't want this podcast to be like, oh, this sucks, negative podcast, but this sucks. (laughs) Listen, 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 listen. We're plenty positive when bands earn it. These people did not earn it. I know, it just makes me sad. I want to talk about good things. Cult was formed in 1999 by four men without souls, Tim Pagnata on vocals and guitar, Aaron Older, and Aaron is spelled A-R-I-N, because of course it is, bass and backing vocals, Marco DeSantis, lead guitar, and Ben Davis, a drummer who played bass because you must be a guitarist to be in Sugar Cult. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm never not gonna pronounce the name of the singer as uh, Dave Pagnotta. Because that word, literally spelled that way, means like a loaf of bread in Italian. And that's hilarious. Also, his name is Tim, so please don't pronounce it Dave. (laughs) Wherever. You cannot (laughs) expect me to remember the the names of the members of Sugar Cult. I will just remember the third name of the lead singer. Because that makes me think of a loaf of bread. And I will love a loaf of bread right now. Mm, Bread. I, I will say this. I actually can't confirm some of the details about this because these men have no real presence online. No one else has a Wikipedia page or anything else they've done with their careers. I didn't find any information on social media. So they either met in high school or college. And I know this because in an interview they were talking about how one was copying another's work in class. And this is a story they've told repeatedly about how the group came together. Ben Davis will leave the band shortly after today's album because being a member of Sugar Cult drove him to drink. He will be replaced by Kenny Livingston, who, as a non-guitarist drummer, will be the weak link that causes the band's collapse. The group signed to Ultimatum Music in January 2001, and while they didn't really take off in any way, They got a giant boost because one of the tracks on this album, Bouncing Off the Walls, was featured in National Lampoon's Van Wilder. But this did them no good. This is another Phoenix TX situation where no one cared about anyone in the band, even after their single. And the most damning thing I can find about them, because I tried digging for any morsel, is that TRL interviewed the stars of Van Wilder instead of the band when they premiered the video for Bouncing Off the Walls in uh, 2002. That's it. Nobody wanted to talk to Sugar Cult. I found Tim Pagnotta Twitter. Can you get me an age just so I can at least solve that mystery? Uh, His description on Twitter is Burrito Conqueror, 
Tennis Wiz, Pop Dynamo, Cat Lover Production Ninja, Pagzilla, a.k.a. That was the sound of my soul leaving my body, hearing that. I, I don't know if that's accurate, because I'm just looking at the stuff that he retweets, and I'm assuming he's retweeting, like, stuff that he worked with. Uh, he's retweeting Walk the Moon and Tokyo Police Club, which, yeah, that's pretty much where I would expect him to be at. It's interesting, because I saw no evidence that any of these people had gone on to anything else after the band collapsed, so that he went into production might be why that would happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it works with uh, Pulse Recording. I'll be damned. Someone from this band actually got a real job out of it. I mean, we're not yet at the point where we talk about where are they now, but I'm glad that I have a bit of research already done for me right now yeah there's gonna be at least one more record before they fall off our radar so start static releases in august 2001 and is such a smash success that two years later it had sold 300,000 copies and that's the last time i ever found any mention of the success of this album so did you find any info on how this record was pushed because this wasn't a major release this was on ultimatum yeah, this was an Ultimatum record, which I've never, I, I genuinely never heard of Ultimatum records. So um, I was wondering if there was a story behind this. Probably not. The only marketing this got seemed to be the video that went along with Van Wilder, because the single was on that album. Ultimatum Records also was one of the two behind that album. Wow, this is... This is, A, way more relevant to us than I expected, and B, way better than I would expect. Uh, Roll On by the Living End, Bleed American, Hit the Ground by Six Gig, Bouncing Off the Walls, American Hi-Fi, N.E.R.D., Transmatic, Sum 41, Sia, way before we knew she was an art rocker or a sex pest, Abandoned Pools, who are a band that definitely places this around the time when I was dating the one person, and Michelle Branch. Okay, so eventually it got re-released by Epitaph, I guess, in Europe. Yeah, I saw Avex had touched it in some of the Asian territories. So, okay, Ultimate and Music. It started around 1998, producing stuff like Moke, The Xyz, the Incredible Moses Leroy. Oh, fuck yeah. He rules. Oh, okay. Cool. I don't know any of these bands. I'm glad you do. Dogstar. Oh, shit. Okay, so basically this is all the alt-rock that I was listening to at this time that had no footprint whatsoever in the greater world. Surprise. Anyway, <laughs> all of those are more interesting than Sugar Cult. Interestingly enough... There is supposed to be a 12th hidden track on this, but at least on the YouTube upload, after track 11 ends, there's just two minutes of silence and nothing plays. Yes. Yes. Spotify is the same. I I rewinded three times. I was playing Magic Arena while I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, maybe the game sounds covered something that I missed. So I kept rewinding and eventually just muted everything aside from Spotify. 
and they rewind it again and it was just silence and joy <laughs> i don't know it's really funny it's it's such a very weird thing because like did you only have one master of this but legal reasons made you take that part out i have no idea <laughs> Yeah, I was really worried when that whole thing was the last track, and then it's like, oh, all right. I'll be honest, if I was less depressed, and if this was a more interesting band, I might have tried to hunt down the hidden track. But I'm not gonna do that for Sugar Cult. No, none of us will enjoy that. I'm sorry, I don't want to be negative, but this is terrible. This is not even SR71, which was a fucking awful record, but at least... The band was interesting in that it was this weird vanity project. This is nothing. They have horrible haircuts because the scene look wasn't yet developed. So they're sort of like the missing link between emocore and scene. And they just look terrible. Before we go into the first track, there is one quote I did dig up that sums up how completely out of touch with the world these guys were. They were asked about how the album Start Static got its name, and they said that it was from some obscure slang about opening a fight. You know, you start static with someone. And all I could think was, you know Sublime was singing about that in one of their biggest hits in the mid-90s before the guy overdosed, right? I don't think it's as obscure as you think. This band is offspring caliber lyrics in Sum 41 instrumentation. Oh no, they're worse than Sum 41. Sum 41 had riffs that were good. Sum 41 had like energy. Sum 41 had some ideas musically. They were simple ideas, but they were ideas. This, this is the lack of anything, this record. See, I don't think this is the most bland record we've had. I think it's very repetitive, but I think it kept going in different ways that left me able to go, now what the hell did you pull out here? I I think this record has the worst instrumentation we listened to this podcast yet. I think the tone of the guitar tends to be unbearably bland. I think there's, like, the songs go nowhere. Uh, here, I'm just gonna read my first batch of notes here. Uh, this album feels like I just chose the wrong grail. This album makes me want to take multiple showers, and not in a good way. This album is so horrible that it cured my depression so that it could give it to me again. This album sounds like if someone took the soul out of Batrock. <laughs> I did also write this album is soulless at least once in my notes. This album makes me want to listen to Van Weezer. This album feels like some sort of karmic punishment to me for digging too deep in the minds of the 2000s. This album is more <laughs> reprehensible than anything Lit ever did. And Lit killed the guy! <laughs> this album sounds exactly like this dude's hairstyle look. I'm done. Like, I, can't, I didn't even hear any of the instrumentation over the singing and the lyrics. Uh, yeah, there are some great, quote-unquote, great moments of singing on this record. Here, nothing is more clear about this record than if I remind you, this is an album performed by four guitarists. 
And none of them could find a decent guitar stone that doesn't just sound like David Flair's WCW entrance team. Yeah, this has mid-2000s wrestling intro vibes all the way through, except the final track where they try to be Weezer. Oh, I, the, the final track to me felt very grungy, and it's probably the best thing on the record, because the final track to me felt like the one song that this dude actually like wanted to write. I'm gonna defend the last track. I think the last track is... Ellie thinks Weezer is good, this Justin. Doesn't sound like Weezer, it sounds like Bad Soundgarden. The guitar tone on the last track is the intro to Black Sun. Let's talk about You're the One. Anyhow, You're the One is a song. Remember when Jet was a thing? Remember the Hives? Yes, I actually... Every, once a year, I actually ask myself, Hey, what happened to Jet? What happened to the Hives? What happened to all of those people who were being heralded as the new era of rock? Oh, right. They also died in 9-11. <laughs> yeah, remember all of that, like sort of sunshiny, upbeat rock and roll. This is that, but not good. Like, less good. I would not ever classify Jet as good, but they were better than this. I don't know that I would call this upbeat either. The reason I say this album is very offspringy is that it is spiteful lyrically. Yeah. Mm. Like, one of the verses in this... Uh, I can only do it once, they'll call me lazy, take back this and that, shut your mouth, my wallet's fat, I'm selling out to make another million. Well, they're admitting it at least. Yeah, this song is about, they, the, the, the singer likes a person and they hate this person because the, the liking them bad, I don't know, it's, it, it's hollow bullshit. Also, they, they like this person, but also... Like, they, like, tomorrow they're gonna forget about this person. They don't actually care. I'm in love, but it's only temporary. This is Hellfire from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's not true. That had actual singing. Be mine or you will burn. This is the song. No, absolutely not. How dare you compare those songs to each other? So let's talk about the music for a second, because this is the flimsiest, and I think flimsy is the greatest objective to describe this record. This record is just flimsy. This song goes nowhere. It repeats the same, you know, 20 second chorus loop forever. The verse is like almost non-existent. It tries to be, you know, summery, catchy pop rock. But to make summary catchy pop rock, you need to know how to write a pop song. And they don't. There is no build-up to the chorus, there is no, like, tension in the verse. This is just a 20-second <laughs> David Flair WCW. I'm gonna keep making this comparison because it just sounds like that fucking horrible song. This is like a jobber music from Wrestler 20 second loop. 
made into a vocal song, and it's terrible. Much love to everyone except Sugar Cult, the Iron Sheik. <laughs> Adam, any thoughts on this song? My thoughts are that it's really boring. Like, if you're gonna go with an uh, I love you, I hate you, uh, uh, but also I'm too cool for this and I'm gonna get bored of you, I feel like there are, are certainly more interesting places you can go with it. Oh god, what did the singer do with his hair in this video? Ah, I see you've just moved on to Stuck in America, which did have the only music video that was really worth mentioning. Today, I changed The other video that you showed me, he didn't have whatever is going... Why do these people not... Was everyone in the 2000s like this? Uh, I had some bad hair in the 2000s, so maybe. Okay. So let's talk about Stuck in America, which is the only video of any real note. The, the Van Wilder one is just them playing in a house like so many pop-punk videos were. They got a giant label push and a TRL debut and they couldn't even get a good video. But Stuck in America is a very cool Japan 2000s because this band, Sugar Cult, is being played on a Japanese television show and wouldn't you know it, the audience is going wild. Oh boy. There's a thing that one of the guitarists does and I like that I can just say one of the guitarists and damn the whole band, because it means I don't have to know who's at fault. Uh, there's this guitar bit behind the track that sounds like someone is trying to play my alarm clock. Yeah, that's the punk riff, sure. I'm gonna defend this. Well, I'm not gonna defend this song. I think, <laughs> I think this song has a cool lyrical idea. The whole idea is that he got out of this town, like our podcast name, but turns out it's the whole of America that sucks. That's cool. I think that's the one good lyrical idea on this record. It was like, sure. I think that it could have, like, I, I guarantee that there are five other bands who have done that idea, except for they did it in a way that was good and pleasant to listen to, or at the very least, pleasanter to listen to. <laughs> no, it's fair. This is the most pop-punk song on the record. I don't know. I can instantly undercut your positivity about this with one horrible realization, though. Eh. You know this is just the U.S. quarantine anthem, right? <laughs> Uh, I wasn't going to say it. Uh, <laughs> it's not right. Welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Room, a quarantine podcast. So another thing, Ellie, is that especially in combination uh, with the video, it's like, how much weight does Stuck in America have when you can clearly see that it's just weebs daydreaming about getting to go to Japan someday? Sugar weeb. For what it's worth, uh, what touring I could see, they only got to do it in the U.S. They didn't really seem to have any international 
Ha, they are stuck. The biggest thing they did was go on the warp tour, and then they did a couple of stops with Real Big Fish in the UK only. That's the most international success. Of course they toured with Big Real Fish. Of course. If you actually looked at their touring schedule for this period, it's really funny to see their star fade out. One week support slot for Blink-182, a month-long US tour with Real Big Fish, Goldfinger, and Lefty, then they go on a tour with Mest, then they're with Unwritten Law, then Summer Camp, then Less Than Jake. I'm sure you made some of those up, but sure. No, I didn't. Interesting, they remind me, you mentioned Sum 41, more than Sum 41, they remind me like, like American Hi-Fi was better. Like, I didn't love American Hi-Fi, but they had talent and ideas and like a good sound. But they are sort of trying to do that. They are sort of trying to do the, we are catching that, Pop, punk, lightning in a bottle, but we're also, like, more close to, like, a a regular rock band. We're more close to, like, radio rock. But, again, they have this really flimsy sound where it's not quite as fast and catchy as pop punk, but it's not... It doesn't even try to be as hard as actual, like, you know, radio rock or bat rock. So it just ends up sounding like, you know, where Lit actually found a balance where they would, you know, they would have that pop punk catchiness, but it also had like this grungy foundation. Uh, they sound like fucking baby Lit. They sound like kids bop butt rock. I've heard the Metallica Lullaby album. <laughs> That's real, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> not, not a thing that I think about often, but I know. I know. Ah, I have a kid sister who just had a birth to a baby. So yeah, I I think about a lot of these things because occasionally I go, what would she do if I bought her the Nine Inch Nails Industrial Lullabies? (laughs) Probably be mad at me. Something's gotta change again I'm losing my inspiration's gone This is the first one that had me going, fuck, I've heard this before. So this song starts with a, the buttiest rock intro, and you're like, okay, they're doing this thing. Maybe they'll get a bit harder, who knows? And then it just goes into imitation Linkin Park was big last year, so we need to have a Linkin Park song on this record. And it's so funny. Oh my god, that's the missing link. This is... This is Linkin Park! This song is hilarious because they're trying to be angsty Linkin Park, but their big chorus is, I wish it was raining because I hate every beautiful day. And it's so cheesy and false and like phony because you're already saying that the day is beautiful, so you clearly don't hate it, but you need to be edgy. So you say that you hate it. And Did 
We listen to the same song. Why? I don't hear any Linkin Park, and I'm listening to it again. <laughs> it sounds like Linkin Park to me. It's not like a good imitation of Linkin Park. Lyrically, I can definitely hear that. It sounds like them trying to do a Linkin Park song. I'm not saying that it sounds like Linkin Park is good. I don't like Linkin Park, but it's like respectable. It's like a Linkin Park parody. Yes, this would be a parody of a Linkin Park album, but I'm just saying some of this track, if I were to do a Chester Bennington impression right now, would feel just like a lost verse from In The End. This is the funniest song on the record that didn't make me feel gross. This is just them trying to be angsty and edgy and feeling so phony and so, like, trend-chasing doing it. and Like... The funny thing is that it's interesting to see how different bands will cover different topics, like the same topic, and what the reactions will be. Because we had another band recently that was talking about, you know, having to take meds. I think it was Jimmy World, and it was like, oh yeah, like that speaks to me. And then this one is just kind of like, no, 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 you shut up. <laughs> also, there's the part where they do the successive rhyme, here, here, unclear. With the same version of here. Yeah. Uh, Again, I'll repeat this. I hate every beautiful day is the title of the song and the big moment in the chorus. And it's just such a laughable lyrics. Because I hate every sunny day. Okay, that's still dumb. That's not... Like, you could be like, I hate every bright day. And then it's like a vampire thing. Like... (laughs) Yeah, like, even... I'm not telling people how to have depression, right? That's not... But... You're not just being like, oh, the the sun is up in the sky, I hate this. That's not how that shit works. But also, like, you're saying that the day is beautiful. You're fucking up your point of view on this rhyme. All right, let's hit the one that hurts. Well, the first. Bouncing Off the Walls, the biggest song Sugar Cult ever had. I'm bouncing off the walls again. Whoa, and I'm looking like a fool again. Whoa, through am a reputation. One more song for the radio station. I'm bouncing off the walls again. Whoa, and I'm looking like a fool again. Whoa, waking up on the bathroom floor. Pull myself back together just to fall once more. And my heart's beating out of my chest. I don't know if that's as painful. This is just a 10-second loop of a song. That's exactly it. Every verse repeats the same two lines, and then he puts one extra thing after it, and then it repeats. It's like a very poorly coded basic program that every time you want it to do a new line, you have it write, Hello, user. Let me tell you. And then it does a thing, and then it goes back to 10. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the nursery rhyme, Rain, Rain, Go Away. Because every verse of that song is the same, except for you change who the person is that wants to go out and play. All right, but I'll give you one better. It's 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Because you're repeating the exact same thing and only changing the number. Yeah, basically, those two are the same thing. I guess, yeah, that was less of a... So if you want to listen to this exact song with better instrumentation and less repetition, do y'all remember Counting the Days by Goldfinger, which we talked about on this podcast? 
It's the same fucking melody. Yes. And it's a better song because, you know, Goldfinger had their problem with songwriting, but they knew how to write a hook. They knew how to structure a song. They had more than two lyrics for the entire song, maybe? Yeah, they had weak verses, but... There were verses. Yeah, there were verses. They were weak, but they were there. (laughs) So, we also have to talk about... This is the shortest track on the album that isn't the intro. Sorry, can I say the, the lyric, which I think we're all thinking about? Do it. Go ahead. Mama and Daddy's got the best cocaine. Ritalin's never gonna feel the same. 24 hours on an empty brain. I got my finger on the trigger and you're in my way. (laughs) Here's the thing I was gonna point out about that, which you're really underselling. This song is 222 long. It's the fastest song on the album. Again, not the intro. And for some reason, it has this fucking breakdown that slows down a song about cocaine and ADHD and medication to speak that verse. It's the most baffling choice on this record by a mile that isn't a video. (laughs) Why does this exist? Why did this chart? I think I have to say again, this is the decision that a band of four guitarists makes. This is the last time this band was ever super relevant on both ends because it was their biggest single and also the last time you would have heard them anywhere on MTV because they were part of Laguna Beach Summer Can Last Forever's soundtrack in 2006. Explain. I I, I need exposition on this. Oh, Laguna Beach was one of their reality shows and for some reason, this track featured on a soundtrack album they put out for the show. To put this into perspective... This also featured Hilary Duff, The All-American Rejects, Newfound Glory, later Dashboard Confessional, and, I bet you forgot these two names, Angels and Airwaves and Lifehouse. This podcast won't let me forget that first one. Yeah, we have not forgotten Angel and Airwaves and Lighthouse. We mentioned them every episode. Anyway, we're not at the point of saying goodbye yet, so let's move on to the next track. That's the next track. Saying goodbye. That was the joke. Drama queen of 17, sleeping with the boys of three. Got a reputation of being easy. Every time they put her down, she makes a fist. Tears her down. Back to back, the plans are run away. She's saying goodbye. And leaving tonight. She's wasted all her lonely teardrops. She's saying goodbye. I don't remember this track. Uh, this was the first one that got my misogyny double plus flag. There were a few. Oh, this is that one. I deleted it from my brain on purpose. She kisses everyone goodbye and waves her middle finger high. They're never going to mess with her again. The drama queen is 17 and sleeping with the boys for free. She got a reputation of being easy. Yeah, this is trying to be really edgy while still staying in the limits of stuff that will not shock or actually like annoy everyone. 
and it just like it's a, it's obnoxious. Like this is like a middle schooler trying to be edgy. Like there is not actual shock value in this. This is just bad. Go on, Adam. Sorry. Like slut shaming anyone, I think is probably not something that you should do. But a seventeen-year-old, like you can just get the fuck out. <laughs> mm. This musically, this is like slower. My own worst enemy without the good thing that song had, like the catchiness. This is the baby lit song. This is definitely the baby lit song. Lyrically, musically, this is what if lit, but worse. So I actually wrote that a different song was uh, completely miserable as a ballad. So it's not just this track, but I'm glad I'm not the only one who had that feeling. Like you have all of the musical tropes of radio rock and pop rock, but the execution is once again... So fucking flimsy. You don't have energy. You don't have any decent driving energy. No bit in the song really has any edge, really hits hard. Nor is catchy. Like, they have very repetitive chorus, but they're not catchy choruses. They just repeat them a lot. And that is not how you make a catchy chorus. This is another album where, as I'm looking through these lyrics... We have another band that is trying to be edgelordy, but also won't swear. Yeah. And also it lacks, like, Lit was weird. Like, if there's a thing that we can give Lit, and Lit was actually throwing shit at the wall, experimenting with different things. They don't. They have their own box, and they sort of stay in it through the whole record, and... So you don't even have that value when you're like, this album is not good, but it's interesting. This is not interesting. This has some really funny and horrible lyrics throughout, but that doesn't make it interesting. That just makes it funny and awful. Lit can do their car song. This band could not do a car song. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Lit had the weirdly wholesome car song. Anyhow, the other thing I want to say is, I haven't brought this up in a while. I think it was one of our first batch of records this came up. The song I always think of when I hear this, damn these kids, they're so terrible, slut-shaming, whatever, is there's a track by a band called Custom called Hey Mister, and it's just written from the perspective of this horrendous teenage boy. Hey mister, I really like your daughter, and it just starts getting more and more explicit and hateful towards the father. But the chorus is very blatant about it. When the final bits you hear of the song are the narrator singing, I hope I never have a daughter over and over and over again. Wow. And that's way more clever about the whole weird internalized thing than this whole album will be. So I have two things to say about this. The first one is, hey, mister, hear the sister, sister on the radio, which is a joke that I just came up and I think it's hilarious. <sighs> The second is on that line, Shellac's Prayer to God, right? Yeah. That's a song that the whole point of that song is like, aren't bitter breakup songs really misogynistic and fucked up? Let's amp that to 11 yeah. for, a, for an effect. Once you have that veil lifted from your eyes, all you can think when you hear one of these again is, oh, this again. 
Let's go on to one of the other real high candidates for low point on the album, Daddy's Little Defect. This is the one that, like, I had to phone a friend for. And so my friend's take on this is, you know, it's like they thought, let's do drama, but make it sexy. And then they didn't even manage to do that. If you've been exposed to lyrics by Sugar Cult, you don't have to suffer alone. Call a friend. <laughs> no one should call anyone ever in the history of humanity that this little defect i hate especially if you look at the lyrics so don't you make a sound your father's around to play with your head gift wrapped guilt trip kisses left you naked in your bed like what the like i don't even know what the song is about i just know that it's gross i i i don't know how you can write about something like that so flippantly and just like like i I, I can't, y'all. <laughs> I would like to know what is the... So you're making a song, right? Mm-hmm. And you're imagining... If you're making a song, you're not imagining... Unless you're liturgy, and then you're making a song because you want to piss off the metalhead and I support you. Also, the uh, liturgy girl turns out she's trans. Hey! Trans power in black metal. Yeah, but unless you're... Your hunter from liturgy. You make a song because you want people to like the song. What did they think was the appeal of the song, is my question. Because it's not the catchy melody. It's not any kind of hard rock aggression, because they are a bit more aggressive on the song, but not really. It is not the lyrics. The, the lyrics are just gross. It appeals to other dudes that really want to get with that chick that has trauma but also like i don't want to hear about your trauma i just want to fuck you <laughs> because that's literally like uh um uh keep your secrets away from me if you want to be mine like oh yeah okay i got vibes off the way this is written and the way it comes because this one has a whole different lyrical pattern than anything else on the out it's very staccato, short lines. Uh, this felt like a charmless smash mouth to me. <laughs> no, poor smash mouth. Smash mouth had more decency than this thing. This is Then the Morning Comes' dark side version. Smash mouth was funny. <laughs> Volunt- was trying to be funny. It's the fact that they're doing this short Bursts of repetition, very brief lines, very clipped. I just, in my head, I just got the mental image of the lead singer of Smash Mouth doing this. And it's like, shit, this does fit their pattern of their most commercial tracks. Don't, don't, don't make a sound. I hate this. Your father's around to play with your head. It it could keep going. Please don't. (laughs) Also, Smash Mouth. 
another another band that's still around, unlike Sugar Cult. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, this is, this is the first key change in the record. It has like this very pop song 101 key change halfway through. And it's sort of funny because it's not, it does not enhance the song in any way. They just didn't know what to do with it. You want to know something that's even more embarrassing about this track? What? Epitaph put this track on one of their yearly compilation albums. This one? Punkorama 8, alongside artists you have heard of, like Rancid, NoFX, Bad Religion, Sage Francis, Black Keys, so many people where you're like, holy crap, that's a lineup. And then just in the middle, track 16, Daddy's Little Defect by Sugar Cult. Right after a Black Keys song. Why this one? It's gotta be a conspiracy. Like, at this point, like... I... Why this one? I know, right? It's a weird choice. They could have done the last song to get those Ellie Won't Legally Let Me Say Weezer vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Let Adam say Weezer. Six days went by Trying to forget her face It was you and I We were too young Anyhow, let's jump to Lost in You. So I have a whole thing on this song because this is the point where my brain broke. Okay. So this, this is deeply mediocre. This is one of the most deeply mediocre songs of this record. My first comment on this is like, why does everyone try to be R.E.M.? Not even R.E.M. wants to be R.E.M. Classic stuff. But at some point my brain broke because we're just coming from uh, Bleed American. It's a fantastic record in a similar vein to this record. And I think this needs some, you know, just like I went with some for, when Sum 41 tried to do a slow emo song, I went on a, on a rant on how, on why specifically that doesn't work and why I think that doesn't work. I think I need to go on a thing comparing Lost in You, which is a mediocre, bad song from this record. It's a slow song. And a good slow song from Jimmy at Ward, which is Cautioners. You remember Cautioners from last week? Mm -hmm. Had the weird, like, staccato beats and was great. And Cautioner was great. Cautioner was a fantastic slow song. It was. Lost in You is awful. It is. <laughs> Why is one radio bullshit garbage and the other is great? They're both slow song. They're both about... Some kind of romantic longing. One is good, the other is not. This track is not to that tier because this track is completely miserable, performed as a ballad. And it only has four lyrics. I have notes on this comparison. So I'm, let's go back to Cautioners. Cautioners is amazing. You have this instrumentation slowly starting with a high-pitched plinked guitar you slowly introduce this odd cut-up, busier sound, but in terms of guitars and drums. Eventually, when you move into the sung part, 
the atmospheric production starts popping up and you have this evolving texture to the song. It's dynamic, it highlights the melody. If you note when the, the melody, the vocal melody is very flat, but when the vocal melody moves up, you have this big flares of production. Well, not big, but big in terms of the song. The texture, Cautionaries has just so much texture work going for it. Just so much instrumentation, like it varies, it changes, it builds on it. Lost in You is just the same throughout. There's no change. The only production change that I noted is in the chorus, there is some echo on the voice. That's it. It's a completely flat song melodically, Lost in You retreats pretty much every single ground that we've seen in rock ballads. This melody we've heard in about 10 Aerosmith songs, in about 10 Lifehouse songs. This is like just like taken one by one. Funny you mention Lifehouse because the reviews that did mention this track talking about, you know, looking back nostalgically at your past relationships said this felt like the Goo Goo Dolls. Well, that is not a good thing to say about anyone. No, it's not, but that's very much what was coming off to people. The more I listen to Cautioner, especially compared with Lost in You, which is like this completely flat song with a bland melody that every band has already done, the more I appreciate like just the thought that went into Cautioners, which is a fantastic song. The bridge in Cautioner is fantastic. It's just like... 30 seconds of backing vocals go, entering in from nowhere, creating this beautifully crafted ambience that goes into like a more forceful rendition of the chorus, which is actually sung differently. The bridge in Lost in You is just, they get quiet for a second and they sing the chorus the same way exactly again. What I'm trying to say is that Cautioner, if you remove the vocals from Cautioners, it would be a fucking great ambient track. It has texture, has it, the texture evolves during the five minutes of the song. Everything is like very carefully produced. Lost in You is just like, again, stock music, but for ballads. No one thought, well, this works in this way, so we can make this to make it better. No, and there's no artistry to it. It's extremely sappy, it's phony, it doesn't feel like any of it comes from a genuine... feels pretentious to call it like a genuine, like, artistic, like, vision. But an artistic vision doesn't have to be about, you know, some high ideal. Artistic vision can just be, you know, Jimmy at Ward making this really carefully and, like, intelligently crafted slow ballad but with like lots of smart things going on that keep your attention and there is none of that in this hey are you ready to get ethered okay i can sum up the entire thing you just said in two other notes i had on this track sure the app ads between each track on youtube have better play gonna remember that flute over this guitar work for years to come <laughs> yeah I can't remember this track, but I can still remember that little jam. And I only heard five seconds of it. I don't many thought on this. Which song are we talking about again? Lost in You. Lost in You. No.
intentions were about And that's what you get for falling again You can never get him out of your head And that's what you get for falling again You can never get him out of your head It's the way that he makes you feel It's the way that he kisses you It's the way that he makes you fall Pretty girl bracket the way this bracket probably my personal low dick same okay I, this is not my personal low just for a single reason this is terrible don't get me wrong but this is terrible in an interesting way it's really not well it's baffling like a lot of this music is re again they fit in their box they are in their box and they make the music that they can do in their box This is outside of their box. This has like weird Latin pop verses. The video was filmed in Trinidad and Tobago for some reason, and I can't find any reason why they flew them down there for that. Well, because the, the verses sort of sound like Latin pop. Maybe? I don't know. The chorus is one of the battiest thing that I've heard. Oh yeah, it's the way. Yes, I love when he screams the way. <laughs> it's amazing because he cannot quite make the scream. Like it, do it doesn't seem like it's a great like scream singer, but he tries and it doesn't quite get there. And they still went with that take on the recording. And nothing tells you how much this band is trying to be PG and will not say fuck in the fact that I can't figure out if it's this kid got her pregnant or just slept with her and then fucked off. This song is extremely ugly. Oh, yeah. But it's ugly in a stylistically baffling and interesting way. It's this is my Enigma track because I want to know more about this. I want to know why did you write this? What message did you think you were giving off with this? Why Trinidad and Tobago? What in the absolute hell? Why do the verses sort of sound like Latin pop? Why choose to make it a weird Latin pop reggae combination for a song about getting a girl pregnant and then splitting? Were you expecting to have Santana on this? Oh man, that would be... Well, this would have been before Smooth, wouldn't it? Wasn't that mid-2000s? No, that was 1999. Okay. Yeah, that was 90s. Yeah, this was... This might explicitly be inspired by Smooth. Wow, what a thought. I'm gonna just steal from Lewis Black. This is my, if it weren't for my horse, this is gonna give me an aneurysm on the toilet someday thinking about this. I think that we probably had, you know, at least one album where it was like, oh yeah, there's like... No misogyny. That's so nice. And then we're back. Hey, next week is a Christian band. They would never be terrible about women. I'm suffocating. We come crashing down. Crashing Down has divorced dad energy. 
I have little to hate on this, but there's literally nothing that I can like on this. Oh, you mean the song that is 60% every time we go by volume is nothing? Yeah. I mean, well, I've heard this kind of song melodically, like sort of like jungly, indie-ish, 90s indie shit. There are bands who've done this song better. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fault them for the repetition on this one because it sort of fits more with the sound. Sort of like a bit more calm, a bit more indie-ish. It doesn't sound bad at all. But if you ask me what what is good about this song, I have no answer. There is nothing good about this song, but I don't think there's nearly the volume of bad things about this song that with anything we talked about on this record. This exists. Approximately half the lyrics are every time we go. 60%. I did count. I always do this. I'm that asshole. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, uh, since everyone's going numb, how does it feel? Well, back in the class, falling out of your past, all the You're tearing me apart, sugar cult. They say you're tearing me apart a lot in this song. This is the one swear that I could find on this record. What is the swear? All the holidays sucked by myself because I'm fucked. So they couldn't do another one because otherwise the album would be PG-13. I, this is the point where I just start writing evil is the absence of good. Just start getting philosophical on this one. This is an incredibly repetitive track. Basically every verse is a couple of sentences and then they say the same thing over and over and over again. And then the chorus where he asks, how does it feel seven times? So here's the thing. We listened to Save the Day two weeks ago. Save the Day was deeply mediocre, but... If you put Save the Day without having to, like, you know, pay attention to it, it sounds okay. It sounds like music with a hint of creativity, some ideas. You look at the songs closely and you realize, oh, this is sort of sucks, but, you know. This record, even if you listen to it, like, without thinking about it while you're doing something else, the fucking, like emptiness of this record just shines through these songs this is one of the songs that i was like oh god how much longer do i have and it's like this is a three minute 12 second song yeah these songs are empty not in a this is fine this is okay way these songs are empty in a serious like you can notice this you can you you listen to this even cursorily and like Something is wrong. Something doesn't work. And part of it is that fucking guitar tone, which is terrible. <laughs> Four guitarists and none of them can play guitar. Some 41 was nice enough when they didn't have the material to make a song longer to just end the song. Some 41 was nice enough to have like a 29 minute record. Yeah, it was kind of wild. 
This is a 30-minute record that feels long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I listened to this record the first time while I was playing Stardew Valley, and it, like, completely killed the vibes of Stardew Valley. Do you know how hard it is to kill Stardew Valley vibes? Like, those vibes are crisp. You've eaten a starfruit. Your mouth has taste of sugar cult. <laughs> yes. And then you get, like, negative 100 to your overall energy. <laughs> okay, let's go to the good song of this record. Let's go to the song that's, like, that's fine. I don't hate it. And you know I played it all here Where everyone hides the darkest shades of fears And I threw my whole night down the drain You know, cause everyone says that I'm not the same Since I changed my name I knew you would like this one because I wrote the same thing you did last time for Jimmy Eat World. Trans song, trans song, trans song. Let's talk about I Changed My Name. <laughs> I don't think that's the trans song. I just think that's a grunge song. And like, okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> so, I, they're trying to be dark again. Like this feels, you say Jimmy Eat World, this feels like Sex and Candy. If you remember the song? Yeah, Marcy Playground. Yeah, but this is sort of that. This is like post-grunge, but leaning less into the butt and more into the, you know, moody, dark vibe, minor tone, vaguely distorted guitar echoing into the distance that remind me a lot of the intro to Black Hole Sun. And you know what? This is the first song on the record where I feel these dudes want to make this kind of music. None of the other songs on this record felt genuine or there was like some passion behind it. This feels like a song that they just wanted to make because they like this kind of music. Mostly because by 2001, this kind of music was incredibly uncool. Like, you had your butt rock, but your butt rock was like manly and aggressive. Even like, there, there was the darkness, there was the you know, the sadness, but it was always covered in manliness and aggressiveness. And this doesn't do that. This is like completely just like a dark ballad, sort of again, in the style of maybe the mellower songs of Soundgarden or, you know, the post stuff. And yeah, like, I, I don't think that's a great song, but it does feel like a song. <laughs> it does feel like something people put thought in and wanted to make and wanted to put out in the world, which nothing else on this record feels like. In comparison to the rest of the album, this song's not that bad. Like, if I listen to this next to literally any other band or any other album, I'd be like, huh, no. But <laughs> after the long slog of Sugar Crush's uh, uh, Start Static, it's not bad. This one felt like Weezer to me, and it sounded like someone else was singing, but I can't find a listing that goes that in-depth on, you know, so-and-so vocals on track 11. I just see that everyone but Marco is credited with vocals at some point on this album as backup. I would also note that this has an incredibly stupid lyric that I sort of love, because again, these dudes are not good at lyrics. It's a, right at the beginning. It's one of the greatest metaphors 
ever put to, to paper by a human being. Hit it. I couldn't sleep last night. My ears were ringing in my head. Best friend with the boogeyman. A close second is the close to that first verse. Too tired for tears I dread. Sink deep into those magic dreams while I blast off in my bed. Oh, thank you, Sugar Cult. <laughs> thank you for your lyrics. I've done If the body moves Inside the closet Then all we do is stare While she's in her underwear And that was Start Static by Sugar Cult <laughs> Final thoughts Oh, I had so much fun talking about this piece of shit. I was really hoping, Fletch, that you would, like, bring us some juicy gossip that would explain why this album is the way that it is. Just, like, something. Like, yeah, no. Turns out that, you know, they're actually a, 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 a conspiracy theorist or something. Something crazy enough that it'd be like, oh, yeah, I can see how this happened. But... We've got nothing. It's it's just so weird because I look ahead to their next album and there's so much more going on there, even just in the collapse of Ultimatum Music and how they got jumped around to five different labels to release the next one. Like, off, off this, uh, Ultimatum is going to give up on them and sell their contract to Artemis Records because of the fact that Ultimatum had started downsizing and Epitaph in Europe did not have any interest in another Sugar Cult album, so they gave it to Rykodisc instead. That's it. That's already way more about this next upcoming album than is any of the research I found about this band and the production of Start Static. I just want to know, Pretty Girl, why? Why anything that happened on Pretty Girl happened? That is what I want to know. That is... There's just so much there. I want to know who told them that Daddy's Little Defect was a good lyrics to put on a record. I want to know so many things about this record. This is terrible. This is... We're having fun talking about it now, but this is not... This is not fun to listen to. It has some good moments, but this is overall just the absence of good. I This record killed my Stardew Valley vibes. <laughs> All right. It killed my crops. It wrecked my skin. <laughs> I need a therapist now. <laughs> well, good news. Next week, we're going to find out that you don't need therapy with The Anatomy of the Tongue-in-Cheek by Reliant K. Yay! Oh boy. This might be Christian Ready Player One based on what I'm instantly seeing. Oh boy. Okay. The album continues the band's liberal use of pop culture references, such as the song I'm Lion-O, which is about the popular TV series Thundercats. Other tracks on this album, I'm making none of these up, Maybe it's Maybelline. May the horse be with you. Breakfast at Timpanies. Failure to excommunicate. 
Yeah, I I I, st- I stop doing the recommend a thing when an album sucks. Uh, I don't know. Go listen to Internet Friends by Nice. It's three I and the dot. That's a fantastic emo record. Don't don't listen to Sugar Cult. It's like what if lit, but we took out the interesting parts of lit. And you know, it's like no. Also, they didn't kill a person, so I, I feel in a, in a way it's unfair to say they're worth a lit because... I mean, we can't say for sure that uh, uh, Sugar Cult didn't because we can't find anything on them. <laughs> That's fair. I'm going to assume no one in Sugar Cult killed anyone. I was going to say, you could bury a body in Sugar Cult's history because no one would ever find it. Anyhow, while we're doing recommendations, I will also point out that if you want something delightful from this time period... You can absolutely go back to the They Stand Up Quite Well Ghost in the Shell standalone complex soundtracks, which I have been using to edit another podcast. Neat. Nice. Same song, different chorus. So, this was the episode. You can find our website at getoutofthistown.com, you can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast.gmail.com, and you can add us on Twitter at G-G-O-O-T-T podcast. It's, it, it's a Twitter handle. It doesn't have a .com at the end. It's just G-G-O-O-T-T podcast. Very difficult to say. I don't know why I named it this way. I talked you into it because I thought, oh, that's very easy to remember. We are everywhere if you want to find us just go into your podcast provider of choice and you'll be able to find us and if you don't write us at getoutofthistownpodcast.gmail.com and that would put us wherever you want to listen to us you can rate and review us if you're on itunes it helps the algorithm works in mysterious way next up as i mentioned reliant k so my friends growing up always called that band reliant k so uh that's a thing And as always, do you have anything at all to plug, Fletch? You can find my works at hellscaper.com. And do you have anything at all to plug, Adam? Nope, I do not exist as an entity on the internet, just like Sugar Cult. And you can find me, as always, on Twitter at ACCTheMoon. And if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon, but... We just opened the first office of Gotta Get Out of This Marriage, a combination marriage counseling and divorce attorney service. You can find us in Tallahassee, Florida, because your friends say it's darkest before the sun rises, but we're pretty sure they're all wrong. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Good night. There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify. All I know, I'll never know. All I know, I'll never know.